are in a series called Love is a Verb. And if you're going to put something on social media today, use that hashtag, love is a verb, hashtag. And then that way we'll all be able to see it. If you'd like the sermon notes of any message you hear here at the bridge, make sure you use that email address and we will get that message to you. You will notice that when the Bible talks about love, it never talks about love in terms of abstracts or feelings or philosophy. As a matter of fact, God never defines love in the Bible, actually. He only describes it as action because love is a deed. It is an activity. It is a verb. Paul tells us, as a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, which is where we will take our text today, 1 Corinthians 13, that love is something you describe with verbs because love is only love when it acts, when it moves, when it does something. Let's begin reading. I've got, uh, somebody's already corrected my mistake. Good job, media guys. Let's give it up for our media guys. Amen. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7. Now, we're gonna, I know we walked through this a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know if Pastor Dale, did he cover any of 1 Corinthians 13? If he did, I'm sure he didn't squeeze the juice out like I will today. All right? So we're going to squeeze a little bit of the juice out of these verses. We, I know we went through it a couple of weeks ago, but this is so important, so, so important that you get this. What God says about love. God's definition of love, what God says love is. So he says, and you got to remember, he's writing to this uh, church in Corinth. It was a charismatic church, a, a Pentecostal church. And so the gifts of the Spirit were manifest. They were operating in this church. But evidently, this church, and if you'll read First and Second Corinthians, you will discover love was a place they were lacking. They were not lacking in spiritual gifts, but they were lacking in love. So Paul, man, you talk about bringing it home. Look what he says. He says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, all I am is a noisy gong or a clanging Symbol. I want you to leave it right there, guys. Let that sink in. You know what we do? You know what we do in the church sometimes? We cover up our carnality by talking spiritual and acting spiritual. We think if we talk spiritual and act spiritual, we get away with not loving. No, we don't. As a matter of fact, can I just be brutally honest today? I've been in churches where the gifts of the Spirit were off the wall. I mean, just a lot of manifestations of the Holy Spirit, but not much love in the house. Y'all can say amen to that. But when you got the gifts of the Spirit operating in a church filled with love, you've got something powerful, don't you? So let's go to the next verse, verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy... In other words, I can prophesy about the future. And that is a spiritual gift. Study your Bible. And know all mysteries, the gift of knowledge, and all knowledge. And if I have all faith, I mean the gift of faith. You know, everybody's 
to have faith, but then there is a gift of faith, a special gift of faith. That's what he's talking about here. If I have the gift of faith so I could remove mountains, but have not love. Come on, everybody say it. Now follow that by booyah. Next verse. So here comes that person who goes, I give and I serve and and I'm just always serving. I'm always giving. He says, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, I mean, I'll even be a martyr, but do not have love. You know what amazes me is that you can do all that and not have love. But he says you can. Because some people are very proud of the fact that they give a lot. Some people are very proud of the fact that they help the poor. And we ought to help the poor. Some people are very proud of the fact that, you know, I would give myself. He said, but you don't have real love. Then all of that, selling uh, your stuff to give to the poor and, and giving your body to be burnt, it profits me, come on, nothing. Next verse. Here's what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. In other words, love is not rude. It does not seek its own. Love is not easily provoked. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Verse 6, does not rejoice in unrighteousness. In other words, it does not rejoice in injustice, but rejoices with the truth when justice prevails. Love bears all things. And I love the Amplified Bible here. It says, Love never gives up no matter the opposition. That's good right there. Love believes all things. It means love never loses faith. Love hopes all things. Love is always hopeful. And love endures all things, which means it remains strong through every kind of circumstance. So what we're going to do today is we're going to settle in on this first characteristic of love. Now, I know in this series we've got three more messages, so I've got to get all of these characteristics in the next three messages. But I did want to spend some time today talking about just one characteristic. Love is patient. I heard about a lady who was in the altar of her church praying for patience, and the pastor overheard her say, Lord, give me patience, and I need it right now. I need it now! Love is patient. Love suffers long in verse 4, it tells us. The definition when you dig into the original language here means possessing the grace ability. Now grace in the Bible has several meanings. One of them is unmerited love, undeserved love. How many of you have enjoyed that from God? Undeserved love. But then there's another Greek word for grace that means divine enablement. In other words, um, the grace to serve in children's ministry, ministry, the divine enablement. You need divine enablement to serve with children, amen? You need divine enablement to be a good dad. You need divine enablement 
to be a good mom, to be a good wife, a good husband. We need God's help. As a matter of fact, it's really important, and I'll say this several times today, there are things God has called you to do you can't do, you're, you're not able to do. You don't have the ability to do it, so when he calls you to do it, you can rest assured that on the end of that command from God is him saying, and I'll help you if you'll let me. I'll help you obey me. I'll, I'll give you the ability to obey me because if you don't trust me and help, let me help you, then you won't be able to do what I'm telling you you must do. Does that make sense? So you're trusting God for the ability to do it. So the definition is possessing the grace ability, divine, supernatural enablement to be mistreated over and over again. That's what this word patience means. That you have the God ability. You can't do it. You can't do it because when you get treated unfairly, you're going to go like Jason Bourne on somebody. Amen? If y'all don't know who he is, he's bad to the bone. (laughs) There's somebody right now going, I'm writing that down. I'm looking that up when I get home. Possessing the grace ability, the God ability to be mistreated over and over again and to have the power to retaliate but never even think about retaliating. Everybody say this with me. Help me, Jesus. Because I'm going to need some help from Jesus with that, aren't you? I mean, I can't help it that God gave me red hair. I know some of y'all are like, really? Yes, there was a time when it existed and it was red. But I want to tell you, King David, I believe, had red hair too. And you know, red-haired people are often um, thought of as being temperamental or quick-tempered or react before they think. Of course, I'm none of that, none of that. Actually, I am some of that. So I know... I know what the nature is, man. It is not my nature when I've been mistreated over and over again and I've got the ability and the power to retaliate to then never even think about it. I mean, if God had just said, don't do it, I might have been able to cite some cases where I didn't do it, but I can't cite any where I didn't at least think about it. Amen? I mean, my thoughts of revenge are rated R. All right, everybody's relaxed now because pastor's just fessed up on all his sin. Amen? Amen. One thing I always rest in, though, is I ain't as bad as y'all. So that's, that's always a comfort to me. St. John Chrysostom said it basically the same way. St. John Chrysostom was a father of the early church. He said... Uh, The word patience is a word which is used of the man who is wronged and who has it easily in his power to avenge himself but will never do it. Man, we're talking about love. This love, this Bible love never retaliates. This Bible love never reacts in anger. 
this Bible love, this patience is strictly a Christian concept. Come on, think about it. It is strictly a Christian concept. What I'm preaching today is strictly Christian because most people would never consider this kind of love to be a virtue, but the world we live in, if you reacted that way to somebody mistreating you over and over again, they would see that as what in your life? A weakness. Be a weakness in your life. That's what the world would tell you. This world makes heroes of people who strike back. We think revenge is courageous, even heroic. To God, retaliation is the very opposite of love. God's patient love is strange to the world. What I'm preaching today is strange to the world. I think I've pretty much admitted sometimes it's very strange to me. It's not natural. It's not natural to immediately give somebody a second chance or immediately assume maybe they didn't mean it that way. Our nature is, man, we're going brave heart. The Greek means long-tempered or having a long fuse. You ever heard somebody say that about a temperamental person? They'll say, boy, he's got a short fuse, buddy. Well, this means you have a long fuse and it takes a lot to get a response as a matter of fact, uh, Paul says in the Bible that patience is to be a virtue of every Christian. It's to be a virtue of every Christian. And we know there are many, many scriptures I could have gone to, but you know, the Bible talks about, man, when you pray for patience, what's going to come? Trials, testing. Look what he says in Ephesians. Paul wrote this book as well, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. So I, the prisoner of the Lord, and I love that. Can we just stop right there? I, the prisoner of the Lord. Can I give you the Greek word for that? It, it, means, it means servant or bond slave. So, so we all know slavery is wrong. We all know that's wrong. Always has been, always will be. But here's what Paul is saying here when he says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. He's saying, he's saying I serve a master who has set me free to do whatever I want to do, but I choose to be his slave. I choose it. There are stories um, during the time of slavery, not just here in America, but in other, in other areas of the world, where the master was so good to those in his home that he set them free and told them they could leave any time, but he was so good to them, they knew it would be worse to go somewhere else and so they chose to serve that's us that's what Paul's talking about here that we are bond slaves we've been set free we can go anywhere we want to go do anything we want to do but he says I am a prisoner for the Lord so I the prisoner for the Lord appeal to you to live a life worthy of the come on calling you've been called to do this You've been called to be patient. It's a calling to which you have been, and there it is again, to which you have been called. It is a calling. So don't look at me anymore and go, I don't know what my calling is. Here's one, be more patient. That's a calling. Now let's look at what that means. Now this is the Amplified Bible. If you don't have an Amplified Bible, I would encourage you to get one. Uh, you can. What I do is go online to BibleGateway.com and the... Many versions and paraphrases of the Bible are there for free. 
And I would just recommend that to you, BibleGateway.com. And there are others that are excellent. But the Amplified Bible here, this is the scripture in the bold. And then the Amplified Bible says, that is to live a life that exhibits godly character. This is what God's calling us to do. Y'all with me out there? Say amen. God has called us to godly character. God has called us to moral courage. God has called us to personal integrity. God has called us to mature behavior. God has called us to a life. This is, this is um, one of those things you're going to need God's help on. <clears throat> a life that expresses gratitude to God for your salvation. And that's rich right there, guys. Hope you'll read this on your own. Go to verse 2. He says in verse 2, With all humility, which means forsaking self-righteousness. The opposite of humility is self-righteousness. Humility says there's no righteousness in me. If I am righteous, it is because God imparted righteousness to me. Y'all with me? Y'all do know you're not going to get to heaven on your goodness, right? I don't care how good you are. You say, well, I'm pretty good. Well, you might be, but you're not good enough to go to heaven. The goodness that is required for you to go to heaven when you die has to be given to you. You can't do it because you are born in sin. You are born separated from God. You're not born perfect and then you mess up. I've got great news for all y'all. You were born messed up. You're born apart from God, and the only way that you can be made right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ, and when you exercise that faith in Jesus who died on the cross for you and rose from the dead, and you exercise your faith in him for that salvation, then righteousness, come on, is given to you. It is imparted to you. It is a righteousness you're not capable of, so it has to be given to you so that when you stand before the Father on Judgment Day, He doesn't even see you. He sees the righteousness of your Son, of His Son. He sees His righteousness. I was in a flow and messed that whole sentence up right there at the end. Did y'all notice that? He sees the righteousness of Jesus on you. It's a covering Propitiation, look that word up. It's a covering. So I don't mean to get on all that because that is so fun to preach. With all humility, forsaking all self-righteousness. Because the only way you're going to be righteous is when you forsake your self-righteousness. And gentleness, so humility and gentleness. And that gentleness means you maintain self-control and really it's not self-control. What is it? Spirit control, Holy Spirit control. Matter of fact, self-control is the problem with what? Come on. Patience. And this means this bearing is forbearing or putting up with. Look at the person beside you and say, God helps me put up with you. <clears throat> I heard a couple of yeah rights in there. Yeah, right. I heard that. So with patience, forbearing or, or being willing to bear the imperfections of other people. Bearing with one another in, come on, unselfish love. There's one more verse, I believe. Making every effort. 
to keep the oneness of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This means each individual. Now, i got to tell you, I'm about to read the commentary right here, and you're going to need God's help on this. Each individual working together to make the whole successful. That's what's wrong with most NBA teams. <laughs> They're not concerned about the team or winning. They're concerned about their stats. Did I just say that out loud? Because y'all know a lot of NBA connections with this church. But that is one thing I notice about sports more and more and more is, is me, me. What are my stats? I know we lost and I know our record isn't good, but I'm awesome. Amen. See how that's worldly? I don't know what that was an amen for, but I'll take it anyway. <laughs> Might have been a little self-righteousness in there. No judgment, little brother. So we're, hey guys, this is the bridge. Man, if we're doing like God wants us to do, we are working together to make the whole successful. And look, that isn't just for the bridge. We work with the Methodist church down here. We work with the Baptists. We work with the Church of God. We work with the Freebold. We'll work with whoever's God's children for the success of the whole. Amen? Come on. Is that who we are? Because I'm going to tell you, when you, don't, when you don't care about that, God stops, starts blessing your deal. You say, well, I want the bridge to be blessed. Then make it about the kingdom. If you make it about the kingdom, then the bridge will be blessed. Am I making any sense up here? So let's go to, uh, go to the next slide, guys. Paul tells us in other scriptures that he possesses this patience. He's just saying to this Corinthian church that by the work of the Holy Spirit in his own life, he says it, and you can jot this down or you can just write for the notes, but Paul possessed, he says, God has helped me have this kind of patience. In Galatians 5 and 22, he says that this patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Notice that it is not a fruit of your flesh. It is not a fruit of your humanity. This kind of patience is a fruit. You are a Christian, therefore the Holy Spirit abides in you. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit in you, through you. So your prayer is, God, I can't be patient the way you're requiring me to be patient. So I pray that your Holy Spirit that abides in me as a believer will be patient through me. Y'all got it? You can't do it. I mean, what I'm preaching on today, you can't do it. If you don't let God help you, you'll never do this. You'll never be patient. Then Peter says, I believe you're, um, oh, Paul says in Romans, and I'll come back up to 2 Peter, Paul says in Romans 2 and 4 to reject God. So if you're here today and God's dealing with you, you're here today and either you're a Christian who has gotten away from God and he's calling you back, or you're here today and you've never humbled your life, you've never surrendered your life to Christ, but you know, you're kind of feeling that miserable feeling. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Remember how you felt before you gave your life to Jesus? Remember that conviction time in your life, that misery that sweet misery, <clears throat> because it meant God was dealing with you. It wasn't comfortable, but it meant God was dealing with you. And there are people here today sitting in this audience hearing me preaching. God's dealing with you. And the Bible says when God deals with you to come to him and you reject it, then that means you are despising his patience toward you because he's being patient with you. That's, that's a deep thought right there. That, that's worth studying. 
Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 9, and Lord, if anybody in the Bible wasn't patient, it was Simon Peter, wasn't it? He says, but patience is an attribute of God. It's an attribute of God. God is our model. You want to see a model of righteousness? Then it's God. A model of patience, it's God. As a matter of fact, 2 Peter 3 and 9 says that God is patient, not willing that any should perish. God doesn't want anybody to go out of this world without him. So he puts up with us. He suffers long with us. How many of you remember your days before Jesus? God put up with some stuff in you. Amen? And the rest of you are lying. And the altar will be open right after the sermon. God, how many, can we be honest, how many God puts up with stuff in us right now? Right now. He puts up with stuff. He is long-suffering. He is patient. You say, well, I need a better example than God because, I mean, really, God's kind of abstract. Well, how about Jesus then? How about his son on the earth, hanging on the cross, after he had endured unthinkable suffering, he had nothing more to say about his murderers than this. Father, what? Forgive them. Because they don't get what's going on here. They don't understand it. How about Stephen? Oh, I love preaching on Stephen. I love it, I love it, I love it. That young boy, probably a teenager, just got, preaching, just got through preaching a scathing message to the people that cried for Jesus to be crucified. And told them, you killed him. You murdered Jesus. And Stephen's a little bit better example maybe than even Christ or God the Father because Stephen's one of us. He's a little more earthly. And here he is in the Bible in the book of Acts being stoned to death and bloods spattering and blood, bones are shattering and what comes out of his mouth <clears throat> Father, please don't hold this sin against them. The same words of Jesus. And then Steve, Stephen died. Stephen was spirit-filled, so he was long-tempered. Let me say that again. Stephen was spirit-filled, so he was long-tempered. Stephen had been filled with the Holy Spirit, so he had that patience. He had that anointing. There was no vengeance in Stephen. There was no retaliation in Stephen. There was no bitterness or animosity or fighting back. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in a church like that? What would our church be like? What would the local church in America, in our community, be like if everybody was like that? No striking back. No striking back. No first thought of, I'm going to get that straight, and I'm going to get him straight, and I'm going to get her straight, and... Everybody say, Jesus, help me. We need help. We can't do this by ourselves. Can you imagine what marriages would be like? Can you imagine what our homes would be like if, if we didn't say, okay, I'll register what she just did, and I'm not going to retaliate right now because I'm a man of God but I will retaliate later. <laughs> what if we didn't think that way? 
Paul is talking about a love that gives you victory over the spirit of retaliation. Paul is talking about a love that can be wronged over and over and over, yet it never wants revenge. Robert Ingersoll, worth studying, was an atheist. Some people referred to him as a brilliant atheist. And um, he stopped teaching in his class in university one day, as he often did, and in the middle of one of his lectures against God, he took out his watch and held his watch up and said to the audience, I'll give God five minutes to strike me dead for the things I just said. That's the way he would mock God. Well, he wasn't stuck, struck dead and somebody came to the great theologian Theodore, Theodore Parker and told him about what Ingersoll had done. And they said, you know, Reverend Parker or Dr. Parker, what do you think about that? That he said all those horrible things about God, then held his watch up and said, I'll give God five minutes if he's out there to kill me for saying that. I love what Theodore Parker said. He said, hmm, did Ingersoll think he could exhaust the patience of the eternal God in just five minutes? That's powerful. He's like, man, you haven't even started testing God's patience in five minutes because he's long-suffering toward us. He's patient with us. He's patient with a brilliant atheist. Now, have you ever heard somebody say, if I was God, <laughs> Ingersoll would have been like, you ever seen one of those bug zappers? <laughs> Where the bug is just flying into that light and then all of a sudden you just hear. <laughs> but see, I'm not God. This is how God loves. God is patient, isn't he? Who's glad? Who's glad God is patient? Amen? Amen? <clears throat> if he wasn't, you and I wouldn't be here. We'd have got bug zapped a long time ago. Amen? You say, but that person who has wronged me again and again, what about him? I mean, I mean, he's just wronged me over and over again. Isn't there like a limit? Yeah, but you got to think about how God could say that of us. And then we've got to pray and say, God, help me. I can't obey this. Think about Israel. Go back into the Old Testament and the whole Bible. and Just study the nation of Israel. People who were his chosen people, how they were rebellious. I mean, he would do a miracle and almost overnight because they hadn't had another miracle right on the hills of that miracle. They were griping against God. Do y'all remember? I mean, he delivered them out of Egypt, and it was no time after they had been delivered out of Egypt, out from under the cruel sting and bite of the taskmaster's whip in Egypt into uh, freedom. It was no time before they started saying, it was better back in Egypt. We always want to turn around and go back to Egypt. It's really hot out here. I'm telling you, it's amazing when you read the Bible how disloyal the Israelis were, how sinful. But we can't be hard on them because we are like that too. When you deal, it's an amazing thing, and I want you to get this and then I'm done. It's an amazing thing, guys. When you deal patiently with people, 
when there's no retaliation, the result of that, the fruit of that in your life. Because see, when, when, we don't, when we don't get somebody back, when we don't retaliate, we feel like we, we were taken. We feel like, you know, man, I just, I just got taken. I, I, I just got, um, you know, I, I was done wrong. And, and I, have no, I have no way to come back on that. So I lost. I lost that battle. That's the way we view it. But what I'm saying to you is when we react in patience, there's vindication in that in the end, but it's not vindication you created, but it's vindication God creates for you. So here's what I'm saying to you on that. And I, I don't want you to miss that because I, I kind of messed that up with a lot of words. When you obey, when you seek God and you say, God, help me love this way. Help me love this way, God. Help me love patiently the way pastor's preaching today. And help me, God. I know it's a process. I know, I know it won't happen overnight. And I know I'm going to stumble along the way and I'm going to fail. But God, I, I want to I be more like you in the area of patience. Then, then what I'm teaching you this morning is that that's going to rebound to your benefit. That's going to rebound to your benefit. When we obey God, when we when we do all that we know to surrender to him and walk out the lifestyle he's called us to walk out, even when we stumble along, he knows in our heart we are pressing toward him and pressing toward being more like him. Listen to me. It's going to rebound back to your life in a positive way in ways you never dreamed. Let me just give you a little example. Abraham Lincoln was a man who made a lot of friends and some enemies along the way. And one of his outspoken enemies was a man named Edwin Stanton. Edwin Stanton despised Abraham Lincoln. In fact, Stanton called Lincoln a low, cunning clown. Stanton said that it was ridiculous for people to go to Africa wandering around trying to find a gorilla when they could find one in Springfield, Illinois. They were he was talking about Abraham Lincoln. Despite Stanton's merciless criticism, Lincoln never responded to Stanton's public criticisms. But when it came time for Abraham Lincoln to choose a war minister for the United States government, he chose Stanton. Somebody asked Lincoln, why? And Lincoln answered, because he's the best man for the job. Lincoln's biographer wrote these words. The night when the assassin's bullet took Lincoln's life in the little room to which the president's body was taken, there stood Edwin Stanton, looking down into the silent face of Abraham Lincoln in all its ruggedness, and speaking through tears, Edwin Stanton said, There lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. Now Stanton never embraced Lincoln's politics, but he couldn't resist Abraham's, Abraham Lincoln's patient love. He couldn't resist the long-suffering spirit of this man. And let us be left with these words today. Love turns the other cheek. 
Come on, let's pray. Everybody say, help me. Jesus. We need it, don't we? You know what love does? Love forgives 70 times 7. And does that mean 490? No. What does it mean? As many times as you're asked, you forgive. You forgive. You know why? Because you're going to need it. Thank God there's not a limit on forgiveness. Thank God there's not a limit on God's forgiveness of us. Isn't it amazing when you think about it that we think God ought to forgive us every time we ask, but we'll look at another human being and go, now I've got a limit. You know, I'm better than God. I had a lady call me one time and she said, I'm going to leave him. I'm going to leave my husband. She said, I've had it. She said, I've had it, I'm gone. And, and I didn't know what to say. I, I mean, I could just tell, buddy, it was a made-up mind. <clears throat> and I said, I said, let me just leave this with you. How many times has Jesus forgiven you? And, of course, there was silence. Then she said, every time I've ever asked him. I said, well, evidently you believe that your husband has offended you more than you've ever offended Jesus. I said, I want you to think about that. And I'm glad to say that she went back to him, and I don't always have that result, but she went back to him, and she had came to me after that several times and said that, me thinking about the fact that the Lord forgives me every time I ask him, He's patient, he's long-suffering. She said, and then me looking at him going, I've got a limit. She said, I saw the hypocrisy of that. And she said, I was able to forgive him again. So I want you to think about that today. Would you all stand with me? Let's all stand together. I'm going to come down and pray with anybody who would like for me to pray with them. Can't do any counseling sessions or anything like that, but I can pray with you. We'll have other staff up here who will pray with you and prayer ministers that we've trained who will be up here to pray for you. Hey, listen, guys, don't go home and forget this word today. And look, I know it's hard. man. It's a steep hill. <laughs> it's a steep hill. But the key to it is your surrender to his power in your life, his ability. You don't have the ability. It, your enablement, your ability to obey this is directly linked to your relationship with him and if your relationship with him is weak if it's distant you're not going to be able to do it and I told you in the sermon that when you obey this it, re it yields good fruit in your life it, it yields good things in your life I also want to tell you that when we don't obey it when we don't then, then the fruit isn't going to be we're going to reap a bad harvest. So your prayer this week, your prayer today is, God, I want that kind of patience. I want it. I want it, God. And I know if, I, if I'm able to have it, if I'm able to exercise it, it'll be because you enabled me. It'll be because I live close to you. And God, I'm not close to you. I want to be closer to you. So I'll be able to do it. Amen. Thank you, Father, for your word today. 
Oh, this is a challenge. This message is a huge challenge, God. For me, for everybody here, I, I know it's for everybody. And God, I pray that um, you deal with us today as we're departing, deal with us as we leave, and um, help us to love the way you love. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said...